0: Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 9. Now understand that Matthew 24, the last Sunday sermon, was really foundational to understanding this sermon and also the one next Sunday. So after service, if you didn't get the first one, just check it out online for free. You can download it and uh, you can hear the message. Today we're going to continue again. We're going to use the timelines as a linear representation. Uh, To help us out as we go through this. And, you know, understanding that God sees outside of time. When God looks down, he sees everything. He sees the past, the present, and the future. He is that awesome. Uh, He's, uh, you know, outside of time, but we function well in timelines. If you were in grade school and the teacher would put, like, you are here and then everything to the right would be the future and everything to the left was the past, we could understand that. So as we go through prophecy, sometimes it helps to look at these representations to help us to understand better. And the title is Watchful, Not Fearful. When we talk about end times, we don't do it to scare anybody. And uh, the design is for us to understand who God is, how much he loves us, and what his plan is for us. Understand that he has not appointed us to wrath. But he's appointed us to protection and safety and to be with him for eternity in heaven, if that's what you choose as well. Remember, we all have free choice. That's a choice that we make. Now, for those of you who may be new to our fellowship, (laughs) Pastor Mike was doing uh, Genesis Flood on Wednesday, and I'm doing Matthew 24 today, and they're both judgment. So you're like, what did I walk into? It's all about judgment. (laughs) It's just where we are. In Calvary chapels, we believe in going through the entire Bible. Uh, Sometimes we're in very encouraging parts and sometimes we're in very sobering parts. We're going to see this may be a little bit of a mixture. So just a little bit of of a a review is the disciples are showing, remember this is before, this is around AD 32, circa 33, the disciples are showing Jesus, the beautiful temple and its ornate structure in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And Jesus kind of bursts their bubble and says, you see all these stones, these huge stones that were several hundred tons, sometimes a piece, they're all going to be thrown down. And what Jesus was doing was he was predicting the Roman Jewish war between A.D. 66 and A.D. 70 in perfect detail prior to the event happening, actually about 40 years prior to it. And we see that in Luke 21, we covered that. So the disciples are marveling about what Jesus says, as they usually did. And they said, so tell us some more. You know, when's going to be the end of the age? When is going to, when are you going to come back? You know, when is it going to be the end of man's rule? And you set up your kingdom, Um, all these kind of questions. So Jesus goes into this. Now I'm just going to give you a basic understanding about our future, because Jesus spoke about their future. But it didn't end with A.D. 70. He spoke about all believers throughout history and future history. And we're part of that. But there's a history in our future. I know it gets confusing with the whole time thing, but try to follow me. And these are the events that will occur. In Daniel chapter 9, the prophet spoke about the Jewish people. And we might say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, let's understand that before us, the Gentiles largely Gentile church especially, the Jews not only had dominance over the world, which was a good thing at that time, because God set them up as his chosen people, but they also had the market cornered on spirituality, because they were showing all the pagans that surrounded them the monotheistic God, one God. Okay, so what happened was, he said there's going to be a period of about 483 years until your Messiah comes. So of course, in the first century, When the disciples just left their businesses and followed Jesus, we say, that's curious. Well, the truth is, any good Jewish boy who knew his scripture knew that, according to Daniel's prophecy, the Messiah was going to come any day now. So when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment, and they followed him. Now, Daniel's prophecy, again, written several centuries prior to Jesus, said that not only would he come, but he would also die. He would be cut off, and that he would, not for himself, he would die for the sins of the people. And then those 483 years would stop, those 69 weeks. And there would be one more period of a seven-year period that would happen in the future. So what happened is the 69 weeks ends, according to Daniel 9. There's a gap, a gap that we don't know how long it is. The Gentiles kind of come into the fold. It's the church age, the age of grace, which we are in right now. And then that last seven-year period has to occur. Now, this is where I guess I was fascinated, even not knowing the Lord, Uh, seeing movies about the Antichrist and the plagues of Revelation. Uh, And this is where this period starts again, this last seven-year period. It's largely for the Jews. The church has been removed, has been raptured. Uh, Now, in other words, those of us here who are believers, whether Europeans, Africans, uh, uh, Jewish people, we're all in the same church. We understand Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus takes us away to safety. That last seven-year period starts again. There is a tribulation period. The Antichrist is revealed. The Antichrist persecutes the Jews. He takes over the Temple Mount. There's a new temple that's built. He tries to make himself God and have people worship him. Because so much of the earth's inhabitants will worship him, very charismatic fellow, uh, God is going to be furious, understandably so, that people have discounted God and looked to man to solve their problems. And the fact that they worship him, there will be the great tribulation, The second part of those seven years, the three and a half year period, and this is where many of the plagues of of Revelation occur. Now, understand that, you know, Satan is a great mimicker of God. You know, God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What's going to happen on this earth in our future is Satan is understood as the dragon, and he's the power, he's the rebellious angel, right, who's going to eventually be destroyed. But he's going to have his way on this earth. He's going to empower a man, the beast or the antichrist, who is going to be a false messiah, right? Watch the real trinity and watch this fake copy. So this beast, this antichrist will be a picture of the sun, but again, in a false blasphemous way. And then there will be the false prophet, which we're going to read about, who is going to be the spiritual head. Of course, it's a demonic religion of this false trinity. So there's a lot lot to this. After the seven-year period, the Lord will come back and return in glory, and we're going to read that today. So, last thing before we move into this is, there's well-documented trends that we have, even in our nation right now, of birth pangs. We spoke about Jesus speaking about, as the end starts to draw near, earthquakes will, we've always had earthquakes, so there's nothing interesting about that. However, the intensity and the frequency will be ramped up. They'll start to get higher on the seismic table. They will start to become closer together. And he's like, now you know, you're getting into that time period. We've documented that. We spoke about the one two weeks ago, which was very unusual and caught many by surprise. Uh, we spoke about other, in the Greek, seismas or shakings. Uh, we talk about the hurricane, the earthquake, uh, the storms, the flooding. Uh, many even in this area were taken out of flood zones by the government only to have their homes flooded again and lose everything. Well, we didn't expect this. Of course we didn't. We can't predict the, the you know, the. we try to, meteorology, but it doesn't always work. Uh, we spoke about, or you can look at the Weather Channel, has a segment called Wicked Weather. Hot, hots, and cold, colds. You know, wet, 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 and flooding here. And in Texas, they're, they're in a drought situation and causing Uh, thousands of acres of wildfires, and they're saying, please give us some water, and we're saying, please get the water out of here. So we're seeing these trends. Now, for those of you who may be skeptical, and there may be a few here, let's look at this. Number one, let's appeal to logic or science. Okay, first one, our sun will eventually burn out. Now, of course, the scientists predict it'll be many, many years from now, however, understand this, that our solar system is balanced perfectly. Our sun doesn't have to burn out for us to die. All our sun has to do is use up a lot more of its energy to, uh, to cu- cut down the warmth that it gives to the earth and cut down the pho- photosynthetic cycle of the greenery. And without the greenery and the vegetation, we end up dying. So the sun doesn't have to burn out. It just has to lose some, somewhat more of its energy. So the solar system can't last forever. Number two, I don't know if you read it, but... I saw these great images uh, August 25th of a black hole. Now, uh, they said the size is a hundred or a million times, a very, very huge number, bigger than our sun. Now, for those of you that understand black holes, nothing can escape it, nothing can you know, run away from it. And a star passed too close to one of these black holes, and you see this thing suck in the star, it gobbles it up. Now, in the 80s, um, I remember. The famous game was Pac-Man, waka 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 waka. And when I watched this, all I could think about was Pac-Man. So if a, if a black hole gets too close to war, uh, and, it, and all it does is the more it eats, the, the bigger it gets, the more formidable it becomes. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Three, that's good news, right? <laughs> I'm going to get to the good news. Three, If you understand science, you understand that if our universe is understood as a closed system, in a closed system, which means that without energy coming in from the outside or work being added to the closed system, you have what's called positive entropy, which just means everything goes from a state of order to disorder or disarrangement or decay or chaos. So understanding positive entropy understands that this system was not going to continue forever. And if you're a Christian and you're not buying this, but you believe that Jesus came for the first time and died for our sins, you need to believe all of God's word. The problem with cults today is they pick and choose what they want to believe from God's word. So we need to be on board with everything God says through his prophets and through his his son who speaks these things. So now we're going to jump in. We covered the earthquakes and all that kind of stuff. Now we're going to jump into... Um, from global indicators of these tribulation times. And tribulation just means a very trying time. It means it's an oppressive time. Uh, And it's been labeled the tribulation. And then the last three and a half years is a great tribulation. Uh, Not only global indicators, but now we're going to look at the personal indicators. So let's continue. In verse 9, Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Even in the worst of worst of times, he always has something encouraging to say. So first... We are not in the Great Tribulation right now, but we're headed toward it. And all the indicators are showing that. Uh, Have you ever heard, any of you ever heard the name Asia Bibi in Pakistan? Or Pastor Youssef Nadarkhani in Iran? Well, if you haven't, you will spend, if you are a Christian, you will spend eternity with them in heaven. They are our brothers and sisters right now who are being on death row, in a sense, for just believing in Jesus Christ in a largely Muslim country. So there's the persecuted church that's out there. Now, unfortunately, in the United States, with religious freedom comes sometimes a lethargy, a spiritual slothfulness. Eh, We take for granted the things that are just at our fingertips, but these people don't. If they go to a well to draw water and someone knows they're a Christian, uh, they will persecute them. It, It affects their livelihood, it affects their eating, it affects everything. And verse 10, he says, Many will be offended. Now, you may go to your workplace and someone knows you're a Christian and they get offended by what you say, or if you stop and you pray and you bow your head, that bothers them. It's a spiritual thing. Um, hate, that's, that's happening in this world too, but what about betrayal? Now, that's interesting because if I look at uh, Nazi Germany, you had the confessing church, which was the true church, that didn't want the, the Jews persecuted that you had the uh, Martin Niemollers and the Dietrich Bonhoeffers who fought against Hitler. And then you had the state church who were told what to preach so that they didn't get persecuted by the state. After 1945, the communists took over. uh, They were just as bad, if not worse. Very suppressive on religious freedom. You had your true church who didn't buy into communism, and you had your state church that were told what to preach. As a matter of fact, a very famous author who was beaten and, and put in solitary for 14 years as a pastor. He was a Romanian pastor, um, say the name, Wumbrand, Richard Wumbrand. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, and he testified in front of Congress, took off his shirt, and, and all the scars and the beatings and the whippings just for being a pastor. And guess what? Some of his fellow pastors and Christians turned on him to save their own skin. In China, we have the true church, the underground church right now, they're being persecuted. So they don't want them to meet. They don't want them to be baptized. And then you have the state church. So you understand now how this, this betrayal happens. People want to save their own skin. Now, if in the United States, I've said this many a times, if persecution came to the United States, you'd really see who was a real believer and who wasn't. I guarantee all those bumper stickers with the Christian fishes and the logos, a lot of them would get ripped off because it wouldn't be expedient to be a Christian. It wouldn't be safe to be a Christian. So you would see the wheat from the tares. You'd see many that were able to be flipped by the authorities to turn on other Christians or pastors who were preaching the truth. This is coming. In Mark and Luke's gospel, and this is very interesting, even through this, he says, number one, for those of you who are being persecuted, I will give you an occasion to speak before kings and magistrates. The Holy Spirit will give you your words and they will not be able to refute you. They'll be able to throw you in prison and harm you physically, but they won't be able to stand up against your words because God says they'll be my words. Again, we look at that, and I tell you what, I would struggle with this. If you look at Fox's Book of Martyrs, he starts with the apostles, how most of them were killed uh, you know, and, and, and tortured uh, for, for preaching the word, and that's how they died, a very terrible way to die, uh, all the way up until present martyrs. And a lot of these guys and gals were used for God's glory, just to preach to the kings and the leaders and the magistrates and the people uh, being burned at the stake, preaching and singing. How could that be? I'd be, ah, oh, this is terrible. But God gave them the power to do that. Now again, yeah, a vessel of God's glory. If you take that to its extreme, uh, it's, it's a bitter pill to swallow. And um, I don't think it'll come here, but who knows? Let me just say this: In Second Chronicles 16:9, we see that God is desirous. He it says that God scans to and fro across the face of the earth, seeing who He can use—just a, a gal, a guy, a teenager, an older person, anyone. You know, um, I need to use you. I want to show myself strong through you to the people. Will you be a willing vessel? So, when you start to question your importance in life, understand that you, God can use you, no matter what your circumstance. He finds value in all of us because he loves us and he made us unique. Verse 11, he says that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Uh, One person always comes to mind, (laughs) Harold Camping. (laughs) I I know I keep it going by mentioning it, but here's a guy who said the world was going to end May 21st. Now, any Christian who knows their Bible would never predict the end of the world because it's evil. God says, don't do it. You're not going to know. I'm not going to tell you. So, of course, we're still here. He's saying the world's going to end in October. When we're here in November, I don't know what he's going to say. Maybe he'll give us another date. But the bottom line is false prophets are already here. How many times has somebody predicted the end of the world? The 1800s has seen an explosion in false prophets who prophesied things that never came to pass. Charles Taze Russell, Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy. Look up some of that stuff. False prophets. If they're wrong once, God did not send them because God knows everything. So don't follow them. People still follow them. I don't understand it. Verse 12. Jesus says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness. Did you see the TV during the London riots? Lawlessness. They said that maybe it's possible that might come here. When a government gives a people so much and coddles them so much and, and just gives and gives and gives and they, they go into debt, that when the government starts to pull back, people get angry. There's an entitlement in, in our society. I'm entitled to this from my parents, from the government, from my church. We're not entitled to anything. And what we weren't entitled to, God's love, he gave it for free. That's the best, isn't it? That's the best. That's grace. Um, in the United States... Uh, Fox News and MSNBC recently did a a series on the war on police. In 2011, 162 cops were killed in the United States. That doesn't include all the ones that were shot and lived. That's a lot of police officers killed. We live in a very lawless age. Uh, 2010, 2011 is not looking good for police either. Uh, This is what's going on. It's lawlessness, and it's only going to get worse. Jesus spoke about those birth pangs. We start looking at society. I did a lot of, so much research on this stuff that some of it I just had to throw out so that the message wouldn't be three hours long. But you look at the indicators in society and it's one of those things where we can't look back. We're being thrust forward. We can't go back to the 50s and the 40s and the 30s. It's, it's just too, we're too far forward as a society. And it's not a good thing. We look at the 9-11 attacks. You realize that many countries like Israel live with this stuff all the time. They could be kids going to school, persons going to market and missiles just come over from, uh, from whoever, these Hamas and, and these crazy people just lobbing missiles over to blow them up, to blow up buses with, with innocent people on it. Um, you know, other countries like Iran saying we have nukes and we're going to exterminate you. This is the way, the way a lot of the world lives. It's a very nutty world out there because man is depraved. Okay, um, Satan is the father of lawlessness. So whenever you see lawlessness, we know that Satan is at work there. The love of many will grow cold. An indicator of a strong love or a perfect love, aside from God's love, is a mother's love for her children. Now, we know this in societal norms, but remember we spoke about the neuromodulator oxytocin, which a woman gives off and floods her brain during childbirth and then breastfeeding? God gave a woman that oxytocin, and what happens is that neuromodulator helps a mother to bond with her child. So that's a mother's love. And I hate to say it, but dads may come and go, but mothers usually, you know, they always stick with their kids no matter what. That's starting to change. The love of many will grow cold. Um, in law enforcement, we're seeing this a disturbing trend of mothers selling their children for drugs. We're seeing some women, and I've met many of them on, on the job, who were so addicted to these drugs that they lost their maternal instinct. It's, it's disturbing. You know, the whole Casey Anthony uh, trial, a lot of people are upset with it. Uh, that happens, unfortunately, too frequently. The safest place on earth for a child used to be in their mother's care, but that's starting to change. What about the flash mobs? Let's just talk about you know current events. You seen those flash mobs? Where a bunch of kids get together and they just attack people, rob them, beat them up. A lot of those flash mobs are young girls, teenagers. They just find a a pedestrian, they pull them, and they just beat the heck out of them, punching and kicking. And and I've been a road cop for 20 years. I look at that stuff and I get disturbed by it. What is going on with our country? Female incarceration is on the rise, right? It used to be the old, um, the bank robbers, the men, and, and they would own up to it, and it was a bravado thing. Now we're seeing a lot more women involved in crimes, heinous crimes, Um, So you you see, that's an indicator of where society is going. Every year, in the 20 years I've been a police officer, uh, laws have been added to the books because of new crimes that people are committing that the lawmakers have to catch up with. You know what I'm saying? New scams, you know, new just crazy things that are going on out there. Verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now remember, let's understand that the context is the tribulation. And what he's saying is, in difficult times, you may be pressured to give up on God to save your own skin, especially in these times. And Christ is saying, hang in there. Now, understand that the believers, we spoke about the timeline, the rapture, could be tomorrow, could be next year, could be 10 years, who knows? God will remove his church before he starts to um, rain down the plagues of Revelation on the earth and the seven-year tribulation period. But in that tribulation period, there will still be some that will be saved. They'll be preached to, and and I'll cover this in the scripture. So there'll be believers that'll sprout up in the midst of a very, very dark spiritual time. And he's speaking to them. He's like, guys, don't give up. Don't give up. In Revelation 14, the angel flies through the air and says to the inhabitants of the earth, give God glory. Don't take the mark of the beast. Well, the beast, the Antichrist, is running the world at the time. And and you can't buy or sell. You can't can't get groceries unless you have this mark of the beast. And the angel's saying, Look, it's tough. Give God glory for those that are still on the earth, but don't take the mark of the beast. Don't give in. And Jesus is also trying to encourage them. Very difficult times. You know, American society, this, this stuff to some of us may be foreign because sometimes our society in the land of, of plenty, and I'm as American as they come, it makes us weak. It makes us ineffective. And even as Christians, Americans can sometimes be uncommitted. So that's the downside of having uh, living in a land of plenty. Now we're starting to see with the economy changing that that's not necessarily going to be the norm anymore. So we're going to start to see that. Uh, in Luke twenty-one nineteen, more encouragement, Jesus says, in patience, possess your souls. Now, I like to go back to the Greek because I like to try to say, see, what exactly is he saying here? I don't get this. And uh, the literal translation could be in your patience or in your constancy, your mind will be acquired. And what he's saying is let fear, let the fear that you have in this troubled time give way to determination, knowing that the Lord will make everything work out in the end really trying to encourage us, or the tribulation sense through this, saints. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, there's different ways of looking at this. Some have said, well, if we look at the original mandate of the apostles, they really went into all the world, and we can see that. We can see that uh, Israel was really the hub and the Gentile nations surrounded her. It was a d- different than when we see today, where America seems to be more of the, the prominence or Western Europe. So you have Israel as the light of the world, or should have been the light of the world, and shown about the monos- monotheistic God, and then you had all these nations. So the apostles really did go out, and, and even uh, Thomas the doubter, um, after the resurrection, I believe he went all the way as far as India. So they really brought the gospel to the known world. Now, today's missions-minded folks feel like they have a mandate to cover all those oppressed nations. So Iran, where you can't go from Islam to Christianity, it's illegal. Pakistan, um, North Korea, they'll do anything. They send up scripture balloons so it blows over the border. It's really very creative. They actually um, put repeaters on the border. So if a person in those repressive countries are listening to the radio, they can pick up a gospel station. So they're really trying their best to uh, make sure the whole world is reached with the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Let me just stop for a minute for those of you who may be new. What is it? Are we trying to preach Calvary Chapel? Are we trying to tell people to go to church? No. What is the gospel? The gospel is that God gave us a free gift of eternal life. That's how much he loves us. We didn't earn it. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We couldn't pay for it. Uh, we couldn't pay him back. What it is is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, anyone, anytime, anywhere, any nationality, any culture would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. So when I say the gospel, it isn't gospel music, it isn't Calvary Chapel, it's the message of salvation for free. Here, God says, I love you so much, just take it. You know what? Many of us, I know with me, I wasn't saved from a young person. It took me, I think I was 25 or so when I, when I got saved, but it was right there in front of me, but the world was such a draw to me. It took me a while to get and understand God's love, and then when I held on to it, I wouldn't let it go from that point, and now I'm a pastor. (laughs) So that's the gospel. Understand that, the strict understanding of the gospel. The third point of this, the gospel will go into all nations, is that in the tribulation period, the church is removed, so angels preach the gospel. Um, I believe it's, it's in Revelation, I'm not sure where, but the angel flies through and preaches the gospel for the inhabitants to understand it. Uh, The Israelites, 144,000 of them are sealed and saved. They go out and they preach the gospel, right? Um, So that's, you can see, and I believe that this is what he means. This is the last stage of evangelism and gospel preaching. But what about now? Do we have a responsibility to preach the gospel? (laughs) Now understand what the gospel is. Do you have loved ones? Do you have friends? Do you have family? Do you love them? Are they really in rebellion against God? Are they not saved, you know, as far as you can understand? Do we ever try to tell them about the free gift of salvation? Now, I know with me, I went in the opposite direction. I was so overbearing that my family didn't want to listen to me. And then I just had to try to live the right life, and hopefully they would see the change in me. So that's the other extreme. But let me stop for a minute. Did we all have a good summer? Everybody? There was a lot of rain, maybe it went too fast, you know, barbecues, going on the beach, putting a boat in the water, um, getting a tan, vacations, right? We all do that stuff. In all those months and weeks in the summer that we were doing things for ourselves, did we preach the gospel to one person? Did we share the love with one person about salvation? Now, if we've been a Christian for some time and we know the truth and we know that God has given us that mandate, did we minister to a flood victim? that we minister in our community where people have lost everything. You know, if we can't answer any of those questions in the affirmative, maybe it's about time that we go home and pray and say, Lord, I seem to be self-centered. Help me to be other-centered. Because when you really love others, you want them to be saved. I guess my, um, uh, with my understanding and from my perspective, being a road cop for 20 years, I mean, last week we uh, went to a call where a 19-year-old girl overdosed on heroin and we had to pull her out of the bathroom and me and my partner worked on her and I didn't think she was going to come back, but the Lord brought her back. Uh, and this is the world that we live in. They need to know the love of God. Why do they abuse themselves like that? What's their story? We don't persecute them. We don't, you know, we don't judge them, but we try to explain to them what, how much God loves them and they don't have to do that to themselves. The famous atheist Penn Jillette. Now, these are his words, not mine. He said, I don't respect a Christian who knows the truth of salvation and will not tell others because out of fear or social stigma. Now, this guy is, to my knowledge, is still an atheist. And it's amazing how God has a sense of humor because I've listened to Christopher Hitchens, too. And this guy knows the, the gospel. You know, <laughs> He knows the difference between the truth and a cult. So uh, they actually put us back on our heels saying, are you doing this? Do you really love the world like Jesus did? Right? Something to look at. Some question. They say, well, I don't think anyone's going to get saved in the tribulation. Well, that's more opinion than anything else. We do see in Revelation 17 that a whole group of people with white robes that uh, is shown by the elder to John the disciple in heaven. And John goes, to, "Who?" You know, the angel says, do you know who they are? And he goes, you know, sir, I don't know. John doesn't recognize them because they're not the church. And he speaks about them as being the ones that have gone through the great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of Christ, which makes them worthy to be in the kingdom. So we do know that even through this difficult time, God is still good. I did listen to a sermon. Again, for those that have just come into church and, you know, this judgment thing, how could God be all loving and be judging at the same time? Because God gives every one of us every opportunity to come to the truth. But why would we want to get into God's heaven without him? You know, he's the one who owns the place. Why would we even want to get into heaven if we have no desire for him now? Doesn't make sense. And it's not going to happen. Right? And it's an insult to God that when he created us and he created us to love him, that we rebel against him. And worse than that, we start worshiping things like men and, and put him aside. So even in the great tribulation, God is so merciful that he's going to allow some to come to, or as many as as call on him to come to salvation. Verse 15. It starts to get ramped up here. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and and to those with nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. Similar to Luke 21, you might say, gee, that sounds familiar. But remember, in Luke 21, AD 66 to AD 70, he speaks about, you know you're in danger when you see the Roman troops start to surround Jerusalem. And the truth is that many heeded Jesus' words and didn't go into the city, and those that were in fled, and they were safe. God always provides a safety net. It's how good and merciful our God is. Now here, what he's saying is, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the Antichrist standing in that temple, get out. <laughs> get out. Flee, literally run for the hills in Judea. Pretty tough time. Again, this is in our future. So this is what happens. The Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel, he lulls them into a false sense of security. He breaks the treaty at some point in time, three and a half years into the tribulation, and he plays God. He sets himself up in the temple, and then he persecutes the Jews, and God says flee. Now, this indicates that there will be... This is amazing, because I have friends, and you know, I talk to them about the scripture. I go through the Old Testament, New Testament, and one friend of mine said... You know, I can't argue with you. He's Jewish. He goes, "You know more about the Old Testament than I do," and I've showed him the whole thing. He goes, "I can't argue with you, but I'm not ready yet." I said, "Okay. When the Rapture comes, <laughs> when you see these signs, you better get down on your knees and give and just give your heart to the Lord because it's coming." So, if you, in my mind, I have a picture of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Um, right now, in the center of the Temple Mount is the Dome of the Rock. It has a big gold dome. It's a Muslim shrine. And on the southern side is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. On the northern side, there's still several acres, many acres that the new temple could be built on. So according to the scripture, there's another sign for those who are skeptical, and then the rapture comes and they're like, what's going on? This temple under the Antichrist, he will give Israel the permission to build this temple. And he's going to placate the Muslims for a time. This guy's going to be such a double-tongued, double-talker, because he's got Satan empowering him, that all this stuff is going to come to pass. We see it in Ezekiel, we see it in Revelation. There's a, there's a wall built between the, uh, probably the Dome of the Rock and the new temple that's going to be built. So this is pretty wild stuff. Templeinstitute.org, you can log on to it. These uh, very religious Jews have already built all the, um, the, the, the furniture and the lavers and all the different furniture uh, articles that go into the temple. They're just waiting for it to be built. Go on to it, you know? I, I encourage you to do that. And our Revelation study was kicking. So if you, and you can get it for free, if you have really an interest in this and you haven't been here for Revelation, go onto the website and download it. So it was a great study. We had a lot of fun with it. The Abomination of Desolation, what is that? Now, if you translate that again uh, into its component parts, it really means this rotten, stinking idolatry that causes ruin. Let me read to you some scriptures. Let's go into Revelation 13. starting with verse 4. Actually, I start with verse 1. And I'm going to pick out what I think is pertinent to this. The Apostle John says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. When we were in our revelation study, this is symbolism for a 10-nation European federation that the Antichrist is going to head. And I went into great detail in the study. Uh, He says, now the beast which I saw, which is the Antichrist, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power, his throne and great authority. Remember, dragon is another picture of Satan who, who can give power to men. There are many men today and in previous times who have sold, literally, sold their souls to the devil for uh, success, for talent, and you can do a case study on some of these guys and some of these bands that were completely nothing and gave themselves completely over to Satan and they became talented and and wealthy overnight. So if you want that uh, road, it's open to you, but you will suffer for it. You will pay because there is a judgment. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, It's a criminal mentality. I want to get mine now. I don't want to wait for heaven. I don't want to be perfected. I don't want to wait for God. I want it now. You'll pay for it. Three, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So maybe an assassination attempt on this guy, this antichrist. Um, maybe he did die, and Satan somehow props him up. There's a lot of speculation on that. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who is able to make war with this politician, this world leader? He fixed our economies. There's no more war between countries. Uh, This guy is great. We'll fall down now and worship him. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue 42 months or exactly three and a half years, the, the number of time of the great tribulation. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Remember, anti-Christ, anti in the Greek, uh, the prefix is not just against, it can also mean in certain circumstances, in place of. So here's a person, the blasphemy is that he's, he wants to be worshiped as God, and people will willingly do it. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. It it continues. I'm just going to go to verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This is the false prophet. He, he makes himself look like a lamb or like a Christ-like figure, but he spoke like a dragon. He's evil. He's empowered also by Satan. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast, the image of the beast, to be killed. And he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, f- free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast and the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands, under- who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, this, I want to focus on the image. Uh, it is quite possible that he goes into the temple. He says, I'm God. He wants to be worshipped. Um, Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. He came to Jesus before his ministry started and said, Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just worship me. I'm, I'm dying to be like God. Just worship me. That's been his whole thing. That's why he was cast out of heaven, because he tried to usurp God's authority. So this beast, this Antichrist, is going to also be part of this idea to receive worship. It's possible that he goes into the temple. He sets himself up. Now, if you understand, there's a portion of the temple called the Holy of the Holies, which was a special uh, precinct, corridor, uh, room that only the high priest could go in once a year and he had to have, uh, he had to have the blood of a, an innocent animal to sprinkle above the mercy seat. This is where God dwelled. So no doubt he'll try to maybe even set himself up in the Holy of Holies saying, look at me, I'm God. Possibly when he leaves to do his business, there's some image that they put in there that looks like him or some creepy satanic thing that kind of looks like him that even while the Antichrist is doing business, people can come to the temple and worship his image, right? So it's kind of, it's creepy. You know? What else can you say here? Um, that's it. Again, the last three and a half years, uh, the plagues of Revelation will be ramped up. God is furious that the world engages in man worship. Now, as a society, you might say again, Joe, this is, this is so far-fetched, is it really? What does it take to worship a person? Even some Christians can get caught up in focusing too much, even on things that are not necessarily bad, but take their focus off of the Lord. Now, let's, take, let's put Christians aside and look at the society we live in. A lot of following going on. As a society, many will not trust or read God and his word, but they will sit at the television just begging for Oprah to come on and to tell them how to run their lives. It's really, it's funny, but it's not because she has several million viewers and she's a very wealthy woman. Now, she has any spiritual person come on and if you follow her theology, she's confused about anything that's spiritual. She'll just let anyone on her program, any weird kind of thing. And now I have nothing against her, or even she, give, she gave her, her nod to Dr. Phil, and people, again, they can't live their lives and they, unless they listen to Dr. Phil. Now it's Dr. Oz. Next, maybe it'll be Dr. Doolittle, Dr. Seuss. You know, Thing one and thing two. I mean, they could really clean a house. I love the cat in the hat. even as believers, they may follow a particular man and they can't be ministered to anyone else except this particular man. I've got the so-and-so study Bible and I don't listen to anything unless I read this man's commentary. I don't know, it's something about human nature that we uh, have to follow somebody, all right? So it's not very far-fetched, especially a guy who, remember, uh, the leaders in Israel, I've heard the quotes, uh, have said, the Messiah doesn't even have to be Jewish, he just has to bring peace. They're so desperate for the wars to stop and the bombings that they'll, they'll give their assent to anybody uh, who stops it. And this guy will probably do that. Verse 15, he says, Let him who, who understands, let him who reads understands. More encouragement here. The rapture comes. It's kind of like the first bus. Uh, some people miss the first bus. Well, there's a second bus. But the second bus, unfortunately, is in very, very difficult times. So what he's saying is, I don't think it's even to us. For those who are left behind, Dr. Tim LaHaye had a series called Left Behind based on the scripture. For those who are left behind in this difficult time, Jesus says, if they pick up the Bible, when you read this, understand, because it has to do with your personal safety and your salvation. So pay attention. Verse 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now this is... This is covered, um, there's more to this. In Isaiah 16, the prophet speaks about a rock city that's going to uh, receive the Jews. They're going to receive my people and protect them. In Isaiah 63, it speaks about a sheep pen, okay, or uh, uh, a sheep pen that's going to hold the Jews and protect them through this very difficult time. And it speaks about the Battle of Armageddon. Now this is none other, and many Bible scholars believe that this is Petra, which is literally a rock city that's east of Israel. Check out this place. If you go, if you're at Jerusalem and you're fleeing the mountains of Judea and you got yourself a little map and you go kind of over the mountains right over the border into Jordan, there's a city very close by that was um, uh, carved out by hand uh, many centuries ago And this place is amazing. It is actually shaped as a sheep pen. Remember what Jesus says about, you know, I am the sheep gate, only you can come through me. And who comes otherwise is a a thief and a robber. But there's the sheep pen. And there's one entrance in and one entrance out. You can't fit a tank through there. It's embedded in mountains. You can have the best bunker busters up there. You're not going to destroy that city. This is a, a, it's, it's one of the new seven wonders of the world. You got to check it out. Petra the Rock City. It has latrines. It has cisterns to hold water. Uh, It's really just a tourist site now. It's on several acres. It can hold over 100,000 residents and nobody's inhabiting it. So a lot of people believe that this is where they're going to go to receive their safety. Now, remember when the Americans, when we were trying to go after Osama bin Laden and he was holed up in the mountains, they were bombing those things all day long you're not going to penetrate some of the depths of those mountains. And they believe that he found his uh, solace or safety in those caves. So in the future, when the Jews are going there to be protected, you know the Antichrist and his armies aren't going to be able to get to them. And you can only get there either through a person or a horse. That's how narrow it is. You've got to check this place out. It's unbelievable. Verse 17 through 21, he says, he speaks about those who are on the rooftop. Now, even today, if you look at pictures of um, some of these cities and villages in the Holy Land, they don't get snowfall. Or if they do, it's very little. So they have flat roofs. They don't have to have peaks like this because their house isn't going to collapse from the snow. And what the flat homes doubled as was leisure pads. They could either they could collect water, and they, they'd have these collection tanks for water, and they would also put their lounge chairs up there and hang out on the roof, you know, get some sun, get some rays. But he was basically saying, when this stuff happens... Don't even go down into your house to get your belongings. Get out, flee for your safety, flee for your lives. Go in that direction over the mountains. Understand, too, that Judea he speaks of, flat roofs and the Sabbath, this is not for the church. Now, this is for the Bible students, for those who claim that there's a post-tribulation rapture, mid-trib, the church isn't here. He's speaking to the Jews, who are largely comprised of the elect at this point in time. Verse 21 he said, there will be great tribulation. Now, this is where Revelation 6 through 18 comes in. All these natural disasters, all these plagues offered by God. Uh, so there'll be great tribulation. Coincidentally, this is also the time, Jeremiah 30, of Jacob's trouble. Right? A, an increased uh, portion of anti-Semitism in the world, especially Europe. Now, if you just go to a search engine and you look at anti-Semitism, Europe today, there was a study done in 2009, 2010, 2011... They have to really ramp up these hate crime laws because for whatever reason, you know, France, there's a lot of anti-Semitism and they're really not understanding why. I think it's a spiritual thing, but you're starting to see the authorities having to protect them. Was it um, the famous uh, fashion designer, John Galliano, uh, was just charged in a French uh, bar for uh, just ranting about Jewish people and, and assenting to Hitler. So this stuff's not going away. And God's going to have to protect his people because they're going to turn on them. Verse 22, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days would be shortened. What is he talking about? Well, we know that there is a three and a half year period of the great tribulation. So how do you shorten the days? You can't cut them down because God's word is always going to, to, to be there. This is amazing. I, somebody just gave me an article as I was coming up here, and it was something I was thinking of. The tsunami in Japan, um, the, the rumblings changed the axis of the rotation of the Earth, and what it actually did was, and it's a very minute amount, it made the Earth change and spin a little faster, and it's starting to shorten the days. Now, it's probably negligible to us, but these are all, this is all science stuff. You know, These guys are much smarter than me. Um, If you look at the scientific community, they always speak about a possible meteor coming to Earth. If you look at Revelation, there are things that come and strike the Earth. Now, if you think about it, if you have a top that's kind of just spinning, and you take your hand with the direction of the way the top is spinning, and you hit it, it'll go faster. If you add energy into that system. So if, if the Earth rotates quicker, it can actually shorten the days. Is that how he's going to do it? I don't know, but it's an interesting thought. Who are the elect? The elect is actually a contextual term. The elect today are those of us here who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Any church, any um, messianic congregation who's trusted in Jesus, we're the elect. In this period of time, the elect is going to be the majority of Jewish people who are going to be saved and who are going to recognize their Messiah. After all this, the Lord is going to come back, rescue Israel, and they're going to turn. And Zechariah in the Old Testament speaks about the Jews as a nation turning back to their Messiah and saying, they look at the one whom they have pierced. Now at the time Zechariah was written, crucifixion wasn't understand understood. But the Hebrew word that's used is specifically pierced. So um, only until the first century did believing Jews understand, wow, this is what he was speaking about. So Zechariah actually speaks about the piercing and the crucifixion of the Messiah prior, several centuries before it actually happens. This this stuff is mind-blowing. Verse 23, last few verses. Uh, And it says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. This is a warning, again, because... Religious opportunities, he he keeps saying this. He says it a few times, false Christ, false prophets. Jesus keeps repeating himself, and when he does that, it's something to take notice of because this will be a perfect time as people are suffering, as religious charlatans often do. When people are suffering, they say, hey, you know, we've got the answers for you. Look at me and do false signs and wonders. Now, I'm going to read what this uh, religious false prophet is going to do Uh, who's really the propaganda minister for the Antichrist. I'm going to go to 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 9. It says, The coming of the, the lawless one, or the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not, did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And then we covered the ones in Revelation. If you remember Pharaoh, he hardened his heart many times and wouldn't let the children of Israel go. After several times of Pharaoh doing this, God hardened his heart and solidified him in that state. So there are going to be those on the earth that are going to believe these signs and wonders, they're going to put their weight in with the, with the Antichrist, and God's going to let them believe it. They're going to let them believe He's going to let them believe the lie. But Jesus warns them beforehand, "I have told you beforehand he says that, so there's no excuses. False Christs and false prophets. This is the danger too, today, of the signs and wonders movement. There are some that, you know probably many good people there, many saved. Unfortunately, the teachings are off. The teaching says that you need to go by your feelings. Unless you see a a sign or a wonder or somebody speaks in tongues or you get a tingling on the back of your neck, that's a sign of God. No, it isn't. We need to follow the word because the signs and wonders movement will be completely caught up with this false prophet. Those that are left They're going to put all their weight and their followers are going to follow this guy because they see a sign or a wonder. Jesus speaks about signs and wonders, lying signs and wonders. It's it's spoken of in Thessalonians that the devil can do tricks too. Remember Pharaoh's staff became a snake as well? He has the power on earth to do things. Of course, God uh, is stronger and Moses' snake ate Pharaoh's snake, but um, you know, too bad for Pharaoh in that case. Verse 26. These actually are the last few verses. He says, Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. See this in Revelation. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one one end of heaven to the other. Jesus coming will be obvious. Now the Jehovah witnesses, if they come to your house, they'll tell you because they made a lot of false prophecies about the end of the world. People still follow them starting in the late 1800s through the early 1900s and culminating, I believe in 1970. And when Jesus again didn't come for the fourth or fifth time in 1970, they said, well, he came in secret. They did. They did. This scripture refutes that. His coming will be obvious. Jesus doesn't do magic tricks. He doesn't pull bunnies out of hats. You know, he's not a magician. He is almighty God in the flesh. And when he comes, it will be obvious the second time and breathtaking. I'll tell you what, I, I don't have many fears in life, but when I'm outside and there's lightning and it's a close strike, I jump. Because it reminds me of how little I really am. When I see that thing just come down, and it lights up the night sky, wow, that's powerful. So the Lord's coming will be obvious to the world. Now, two ways this could happen. Number one, uh, as he appears, it could be via satellite technology. Or number two, it could just be because Jesus was not limited anymore to a a physical body when he ascended into heaven, that it's his omnipresence. Wherever people are on the earth, they will see him. Either way, he's going to do it. The second coming precedes, um, is preceded by the Battle of Armageddon. Revel- Revelation 16 tells us that. Uh, Jesus defeats the enemies of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. And Har-Megiddo just means the, the Mount of Megiddo, which is actually a plain. That's in, <laughs> it's been for centuries, I believe Napoleon fought battles there and the Old Testament battles were fought there. It is a portion of Israel that's just flat. And it's a a military leader's dream because two forces can just, and it's happened. How much blood was spilled on the battle of Armageddon already? Well, it's going to happen again. And Jesus is going to defeat the enemies of Israel, defeat the enemies of God at the battle of Armageddon, and he's going to head over to Basra and he's going to, you know, free the, or, um, you know, show the Israelites that he's protected them and saved them. He's going to gather the elect. Again, we know this in scripture. Many Old Testament prophecies speak about the regathering of Israel. Again, uh, we know that in 1948, Israel was in a sense regathered, but there's going to be another regathering. And this is where in Zechariah, they will see, they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will recognize him as their Messiah. So it's all going to come together. Now, the one thing I'm just going to leave you with is, is this. 70 week of Daniel. If you look at the It says the 70 weeks, and then on the other side, the 70th week, which looks like this here. You'll see the parallel path. You'll see that the earth really is, um, what's going on the earth is this center line. You'll see the rapture here, and you'll see the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the saints and the Lord come back in the second coming to come back down to earth, and then the thousand-year millennial reign where the Lord reigns in righteousness and everyone's gathered together. So what's the good news? good news is don't miss the first bus. (laughs) You know, whose side are you on? And you know what it's really about? What do you worship? If you worship stuff and you worship things and you worship, it has to be done now, then you worship the earth. Because that's where those things can happen. If you want to wait, if you want to be patient, if you want your character stretched, if you want God to lead you and guide you, then you worship Him. It's just as simple as two choices. And anybody can make that choice. You can actually do it right now, today. Even more important is when we we see a lot of judgment, but understand, again, if you're a visitor, it's not always like this. God loves us. He encourages us. He walks with us. He counsels us. He helps us to make good decisions. He wants to make us successful. This is all throughout the scripture. But we, as humans, and I did it for many years, try to do it our way first, and it often doesn't work. So, God wants to walk with you. The only problem with with human beings is and my dad always said this. He goes, "Son," because I didn't learn from him and I didn't learn from his mistakes. He said, "Son, human beings are the only, only animals that don't learn from their parents. They have to make the, their mistakes on their own." But it doesn't have to be like that for you today. So if you're here and you don't know the Lord, the Bible says this. Now is the appointed time, now is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you will serve. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, is a heavy portion of scripture today.